I don't know, Devin. It looks like the Biden administration is seeking and will obtain the endorsement of Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. There goes the all-important 14-year-old white girl with a vote, right? there. We're done. Like It's like, let's just, you know, close up shop. Might as well go home. Trump, this is the end of it. This is the end of it. Uh, what's, uh, this is desperation on their part. They know that celebrities don't really work uh, in terms of the endorsements. It, it just usually goes along with the, the direct fans of those people. And even then, only some of them. Look, uh, my daughter loves uh, Taylor Swift herself. She's about that age range. But uh, there ain't no way that she, if she could vote, uh, would, would vote for Biden because Taylor Swift said so. <laughs> it's, it's so, anyway, it reflects a lot of embarrassment and uh, for that matter, desperation on the part of the Biden administration. Look, uh, it, the, the polling now is so extraordinarily um, in for Trump, uh, not just uh, among the swing states, but also among the Hispanic vote, which I'm to understand is now majority in favor by a slight majority. Uh, whereas previously, I think it was something like 20%, uh, which is still substantial. But now the Hispanic vote has gone uh, leaning in favor of Trump. So that's a, that's a big problem for the Biden administration. Likewise, the black vote, which is now uh, you know, exceeding 20%, uh, especially among the black male vote. So They've got some big uh, tsuris, as we say in Yiddish. Tsuris, yeah. What is that? That means uh, problems, uh, nervous problems. And they're going to have a, a big explaining to do at the end of the day. Uh, but but look, all of uh, all of this is uh, what is it? what do they say when the, you you kind of um, self created problems? Uh, these are unforced errors, but they more more importantly they they create these own problems, including the the border situation, which we'll talk about in a moment. But first, I want to talk about. The retaliatory strikes that uh, the United States engaged in with respect to the three soldiers, uh, three soldiers, servicemen, service persons, I should say, who were killed uh, in north, uh, uh, northeastern Jordan. And that's, uh, look, I'm, I'm glad that he's done something, but I, I really question the effectiveness of these strikes. There were some 85 strikes hit. Uh, but it looks like we also warned all the Iranians who may be, or for that matter, the Iranian proxies who may have been in these particular locations, which I'm, I'm to understand were military heads, uh, military control centers. And they told them, please, by all means, get out. We, we don't want you, anyone to get hurt. You know, that's, I, I don't know that that's a, a very effective strategy. But even then, the Biden administration has a very strange uh, outlook on how people should perceive what they are doing, that, the, that these servicemen that died, these service people, again, uh, soldiers who died were doing so on behalf of the Biden administration's policies. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't think so? Well, that's exactly what uh, Karine Jean-Pierre said, the spokeswoman for the Biden administration. Yeah, check it out. Here you go. Obviously, our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, of three folks who are who are military folks who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the American people, obviously, more so, more importantly. Uh, yeah. OK, so there you go. Why, why does she say I mean, was this a slip up? Right. I mean, if it's a slip up, I understand. I mean, it's very human to slip up like this, but 
she, she said this. She's the spokeswoman. She's supposed to be the person that doesn't slip up with these kinds of things. So these people are supposedly somehow fighting for the Biden administration policies. I mean, really? Is that, is that the reason why you're, uh, you know, are, are pursuing these retaliatory strikes is because these good service people, they were the ones who actually supported us. So I guess you interviewed them ahead of time to, to know, you know, do you support the Biden administration? Because if you do and you get killed, then we'll do the retaliatory strikes. But if you were for pro, you know, Trump, I, I don't know if we would take this kind of elaborate measures, you know, to and, and risk my political capital in order to defend you or to honor your name. All right, you get the idea. It's it's a, it's really an embarrassment for the administration, and she had to kind of walk that back. Uh, of course, the, the the servicemen were there, the service people were there. As Americans, and whether the president is a Democrat or Republican, that shouldn't matter. We all know that. But anyway, there we go. Uh, the retaliatory strikes. I, I don't know. And then they say, they, they insist that, of course, this is going to be uh, just the beginning of the retaliatory strikes. But if it's going to be like this, then I wonder what sort of effectiveness this is going to be. Is this really going to minimize uh, Iran's power in the region? Will it, in fact... Uh, do anything. Time will tell, of course, but this is a an administration that is very gun shy about literally gun shy about uh, anybody getting hurt. You know, they they want a war where nobody gets hurt. Okay, well, if you if you have a war where you have to step on eggshells all the time, you're not going to be very good in prosecuting the war. If we had that same attitude during World War II, and mind you, World War II only lasted three and a half years from the American involvement point of view. When you think, I mean, everyone thinks about World War II that lasted years and years. It lasted only three and a half years. Yeah, if you, if you take December 7th, 1941 as the starting point, uh, and, and, and we didn't actually throw ourselves into the war until substantially after that. It took about half a year before we actually mobilized a, a decent amount of troops uh, toward the fight. So really, it was more like three years that we were actually engaged in combat and planning and everything else. And yet... The question is why? Because we didn't, we weren't so ginger. We we didn't pussyfoot around when it came to prosecuting the war. We understood that war was war, and that you needed to dismantle the enemy at uh, at every turn. And sometimes that would mean consequential damages, collateral damages. They'd like to call it today. Nowadays, especially with Israel, they, they want to make sure that if you're going to bomb, the the bombs have to be super precise. And if you kill even one mosquito that was not involved in any sort of combat, well, then, then you're engaging in genocide. Yeah, that's true. All right. Um, we'll see what happens with this. I, I do applaud him to, to do this. But why, why was it that he only did it after servicemen were killed? Why? I mean, it could, it could have been any time before. Our interests were attacked all the time. Uh, air drones could have killed and destroyed uh, many other people before. But it was only because the actual killing, that, that's, that's when it mattered. Look, it's something, I guess that's a standard, but you, you shouldn't allow your enemy to destroy your infrastructure and uh, create uh, all sorts of other mischief and, and do nothing. What, what, what sort of signal did we send when after, what was it, 160 attacks upon us, we did nothing? Nothing? All right. I think I said enough about that. Uh, I, want to, I want you to hear a lot about uh, China. Uh, this is a big issue. FBI Director Christopher Wray uh, testified before Congress 
Uh, very interesting. I want you to take a listen to this and, and tell me what you think about this. Because I, it, only one thing comes to mind when I hear this. Okay, hey, let's do we have it. Yeah, go ahead and play. And Director Ray, remind me again of this stat I thought was stunning in your opening statement, that if you, if you focused all of the FBI's cyber professionals on the China threat, we would still be at what sort of disadvantage with respect to the humans in China that are focusing on America? We would be at a disadvantage of at least 50 to 1. 50 to 1. And part of the reason I say at least is because one of the things we've also seen from the Chinese government, which has devoted massive resources to the biggest hacking program in the world by a mile, is that they also work with cyber criminals. Yeah. Which is then a whole force multiplier to that already significant enterprise. Roughly how many people or percentage of your resources are devoted to China, would you say? Of our resources? Yeah. I mean, it is the biggest chunk of our counterintelligence program by far, uh, and probably the biggest chunk of our cyber program by far. And then- Yeah, okay, so I, I want you to hear between the lines, as it were, or at least the significance of what Christopher Ray is saying right here. <laughs> I mean, it, he's clearly saying, look, there's, a, there's an all-out conspiracy by the Chinese government, a program by which they want to completely dismantle America. And he's pointing it out, and he should be pointing it out. He is the head of the FBI after all. That makes sense. That's, that's his job. But this same man and many others in leadership said that when China released the virus in 2020, 2019, actually, that, that, that to, to suggest that it was done on purpose, it was, a, was, was laughed at. You, you would be a, a monster to suggest the idea, right? You, you're a fool. You're a conspiracist. But, but he's just saying right now that they are launching viruses of, of the technological sort, the computer sort, hacking and everything else. They're, they're doing that. But why would you put it past them that, that they could have inflicted a virus upon the whole world for purposes of sabotaging uh, and causing such a kerfuffle uh, among society? And even though, yes, it, it, it impacted China itself, I think they played the game. I, I think they were willing to sacrifice their own people right and left. And I don't even mean it in terms of deaths. Uh, you, you know what I think about the, the virus. I don't think it was anything more than a strong flu. Okay, I think that strong flu killed uh, quite a few people, but we will never know the actual numbers because uh, people inflated the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. But going back to the conspiracy concept, this idea, FBI Director Ray here is, is very confident and it doesn't seem to bat an eye to say that the Chinese are fully capable of doing this kind of mischief uh, and, and they're planning this out. It's obviously a conspiracy in terms of the, the Chinese government, at least they're plotting to undermine America whatever way they can, including the elections, and he's even talking about it now. But the virus? Nah, nah that was nothing. Nah, nah, that was just an accident. It you know, came from a wet market at first, right? And then uh, even when they finally had to admit that it came from a lab, well, that was just, you know, Keystone Cops. They just bungled it really badly. Some moron released it into the, into the wild, as it were. Yeah, and the timing was perfect. Yes, I, I grant you that, but uh, it was not. Not at all intentional. <sighs> I, I just hate it when they think that they can fool you. I hate feeling like I'm being played. And, and that's what the Democrat Party, particularly, seems very comfortable in doing with you. They, they have no problem trying to play you. And when you 
call them out on it and you say, this is absurd. Well, <laughs> then they say, well, that was yesterday's news. You know, let's talk about today, right? But literally it could be yesterday in many instances. That was so 24 hours ago. Is there a kind of theme? All right, let's talk uh, also about something that I think is in many ways related. Uh, the Fannie Willis story. This is the um, woman, the DA in Georgia, who went ahead and uh, hired this lover of hers, a lover, uh, to prosecute the case, uh, the electioneering uh, interference case against Donald Trump uh, back in Georgia. So she's doing this, but before she admitted that there was an inappropriate affair, she denied it wholeheartedly, very, very wholeheartedly. You, you were you are a bad person. In fact, you are a racist if you suggested that uh, there was an inappropriate relationship. But then finally, of course, when the documents come out and everything else, uh, then they, they go after her and they say, okay, look, this was unethical. Now her defense is, well, there was nothing wrong with it. Well, if there was nothing wrong with it, then why did you not say that you had that affair from the get-go, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a very simple question. She, she, you know, pulled out the guns first that said uh, nothing happened. There was no, no inappropriate relationship. I, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. We went to lunch together a couple of times, but it was purely business. Uh, and then she, you know, has to admit it. So this is the, the way of the classic guilty party where they deny, deny, deny. And then they finally are confronted with a lot of evidence. Uh, blue dress, <clears throat> right? I mean, it's exactly the same thing. And uh, then they suddenly come clean. All right, so now she's come clean with the fact of the inappropriate relationship, but now she's denying, her whole argument is she's denying that that in any way prevents her from being fully ethical and uh, pursuing and prosecuting the case in a very objective way. Yes, exactly right. Here is a fascinating way to describe it. Um, let's, let's play it out. This is from uh, a, a channel called ANF. Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is now admitting to having a romantic relationship with special prosecutor Nathan Wade. But in her latest court response, she says this is not a reason for her to be removed from a career-defining case. And that case against former President Donald Trump and his allies. Yeah, okay, so did you hear that? Where, where she says a career-defining case. She has to be on this case because it's career-defining. That's the reason why she brought the case in the first place because it would be career-defining. She wanted this, uh, what is it, a notch in the belt, a feather in her cap, uh, very, very important stuff. But uh, you don't take on a case because you think it might advance your career or make you look good. I mean, this, this reminds me of the uh, Duke Lacrosse case, right? Where uh, the guy Nifong, he was the DA in that case, he decided to pursue these lacrosse boys at Duke because they were white. The alleged victim, and I say alleged very strongly because it ended up being that there was no rape, uh, that the alleged rape victim uh, was black. And she pursued this uh, argument and she said that she was she had been raped when the story started falling apart. Uh, the DA clearly, uh, he, he continued to push it. Uh, he didn't even investigate things the way that they should have been investigated. He got caught up in this whirlwind and he was, wait for it, running for re-election as the DA in, uh, in, in that uh, county. So uh, he eventually was, uh, he was forced to dismiss the case. And eventually the new DA who took it up immediately dismissed the case and not only dismissed it, but also exonerated the boys in particular, which is a very unusual move. 
and then uh, Naifong himself was eventually disbarred. Uh, I would not be surprised if similar actions were taken against um, Fanny, uh, whatever last name is, Fanny Wills. Yeah, so I, I, I would not be surprised. But again, you don't, that, that's not, this smacks of injustice, right? This is not why we, we want prosecutors to push this or that case. The whole point of taking on a case, your, your role as a prosecutor is not to win. It, that, that is not your job. Your job is to do justice. And that means dismissing a case the moment you see that you cannot meaningfully win the case. That is justice. You don't, you don't, uh, it's not like a civil case where you uh, try to get the best deal for your client and uh, let's say a settlement amount, whatever it is, whether a risk is attended to it, and you get a, an attaboy from your client if you win something that you uh, didn't necessarily think you would win. Uh, th- that's, that's the way it works in the civil context. But in the criminal context, uh, it's all about justice. And that's the way we want it. Uh, and this Fanny Willis character, and she's a character, uh, she needs to remove herself from this case. She should know that. She will be removed whether she does it voluntarily or it uh, gets pushed on her involuntarily. And uh, then they have to decide whether or not they want to continue the case um, with a different DA uh, and whether or not uh, the case should be dismissed because of the tainting that has already happened. And then they would have to do another grand jury. They would have to reinstigate the, uh, the case again. I don't know that they would have the appetite to do it. Uh, Devin, I, I think uh, it just wouldn't happen. And the, and the reason why is that they, they, they've begun to see since the, the four indictments that happened within four weeks, they've begun to see that every time he gets indicted, every time there's some sort of charge brought against him, that Trump actually elevates in popularity. It only inures to his benefit. Suddenly he's Mr. Popularity again. So why would they do this? They would actually want to take the wind out of uh, his sails and be able to say, look, I guess the the jig is not up against him. Maybe we should evaluate Trump solely on his record and whether or not we like him as opposed to whether or not he's being railroaded, right? So that's a very interesting dynamic that will be playing out. Let's see what the Democrats uh, choose to push on Fannie Wills. All right. I did want to say something a little bit more about uh, the whole attack on the Iranian interests uh, forgot to mention this, that, look, it's fascinating to me how they've decided that they should do these retaliatory strikes. They recognize Iran as the perpetrator here. There is no doubt, as they say, the Biden administration itself says, there's no doubt that Iran is behind the attacks that killed the three servicemen. Okay. All right. But yet, yet they are continuing to push forward with the Iranian deal. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that right? I mean, <laughs> as if somehow they can separate the two Irans, the, the one that wants to destroy America and violate every sort of, sort of decorum when it comes to the military, and at the same time think that they can reach a diplomatic deal when it comes to the uh, proliferation of nuclear weapons in Iran, right? It's, how do they square that, right? And all this time they said that there's going to be these snapback uh, sanctions, right? Snapback. <laughs> if, if Iran violated the deal. Well, we know that they violated the deal many times over. And of course, it's, it's, got, it's very bellicose when it comes to Israel and America and its presence in the Middle East, right? So I, anyway, riddle me that one, Batman. But they won't give up on the Iranian deal. They can't because that is the swan song of one 
President Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. And I say his middle name because he proudly announced his middle name during both inaugurations. So leave it be. The point is that this was the swan song of Obama and he wanted this so badly. And to, to, to declare the Iranian deal dead, as Trump had done, and not move forward with it, abandon it, put it to the scrapbook of, his, of history, uh, that would mean that Obama really made a very poor, ca- poor calculation and he simply can't have that. Okay? Uh, Obama is like uh, that, the colonel in the bridge over the River Kwai, right? the, the guy who builds the bridge, only to find out later that this bridge is absolutely necessary for the Japanese military to successfully bombard the allies. And so he must destroy his own bridge, but, and he realizes that at some point, but he, he, he's created this baby and he, he can't destroy it because it was his baby, right? Same thing with Obama and the Iranian deal. He made this deal, he pushed it so hard, and now to acknowledge that uh, it was a failure, that it was a failure, I believe, from the get-go, well, that's, that, that would be very problematic for him. And Biden, of course, is doing the bidding of Obama, who I think is whispering in Biden's ear. And everyone is uh, so eager to lift up the legacy of, of Obama, notwithstanding that it's a flat tire. <laughs> you can pump up a flat tire all you want, okay? But it's still deflating. It's deflating rapidly. So good luck to you, Obama. Good luck to you, Biden, on this one. Uh, the Iranian deal is clearly dead and no one's really talking about it. All right, I want to move on to the Texas uh, border situation. This is fascinating, Devin. I, I cannot believe this is happening. And in many ways, this the turn of events that's happening is fascinating. Okay, so Texas had been putting up barbed wire, very substantial barbed wire on the border. Its argument is we get to defend our citizens, right? And then they are, of course, 100% right about that. That's part of the job of the Texas National Guard is to, to avoid... Uh, any sort of <clears throat> invasion that may occur uh, on its borders. There is a, there's a recognition of state sovereignty uh, that, that is somewhat independent of federal sovereignty. All right, so they put up these barbed wire fences, the theory being, look, feds, if you are not going to do anything, we will do something. We want to prevent the invasion of the border uh, that, that we're seeing very clearly here. You're not doing anything about it, we'll do something about it. So it's bad enough, as I said before, that the Biden administration was doing nothing to protect the border and, and in fact, seeming, seemingly allowing and wanting people to come across the border. Uh, there are now millions of people. It's now the equivalent of, this is from Western Journal, um, it, it's more than the entire population of Arizona, okay, has, has come in since Biden has become president, okay, since then. That's the, so January 2021, right? So seven and a half million it's just a, it's breathtaking as a number. Anyway, they want to, you know, uh, the Texas wants to stop this inflow. And it's not, it's not enough that the Biden administration has been doing nothing, but seemingly encourage it. And then now they are actively going, they want to actively send their federal troops to cut the barbed wire. Okay, that, that's going an extra step, in my opinion, right? Uh, well, it's not even my opinion. It's a fact. They're going the extra step. It's one thing to look the other way. It's the other thing to actually help the perpetrators, right? It's, it's like, uh, you, you know, somebody's trying to rob a, a bank and the security guard looks the other way, right? It's saying, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get myself hurt, okay? Uh, but then in addition, 
he actually shows them where the vault is, opens the vault for them, and says, have at it. Don't worry about it. I, w- I won't do anything to you as you leave with your bags full of dollar signs. You know, I, it, no, that, that's exactly what's happening. So they want, and, and the funny thing is that they took it up to the Supreme Court. The Biden administration not only wants the feds to, to go cut the border, uh, barbed wire, but they actually took the legal step of taking it up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, yeah, you can, you can cut the barbed wire. I don't, you know, we, we can talk about that all day long, but the Supreme Court ultimately said, yes, it's, it's okay to cut the barbed wire. You, you ultimately have sovereignty over this issue, uh, national interest, Trump uh, state interests, no, no pun intended, uh, and therefore go ahead and cut the wire. All right. Funny thing happened on the, on the way to the, to the story is that the, the feds don't want to cut the wire. Nobody's cutting the wire right? That they've been instructed to cut the wire, but they're not doing it. They don't want to do it because that's, that's not what they signed up for. When they, when they became border agents, they signed up for protecting the country, not to enable the bad guys to come in. Okay. I, what, what can I say? I mean, it's, it's like when we try to bomb the, the, the train tracks uh, going to the concentration camps, right? We, we decided not to do it. But that's another, that's one thing. Right? That's bad enough as it is in World War II. But if we were to actually help them along and build train tracks for them, that, that would be something. Right? That would be evil. But that's kind of the equivalent of what I'm seeing here. It's really shocking. Anyway, there's a showdown with the governors. They're coming down to Texas, and they are actually providing their own National Guard to support Texas. Right. And, and they're doing a good job. And, and they, there may very well be a showdown, or at least a hypothetical showdown between the states who want to protect the, who want to protect the border and uh, the federal government, who apparently doesn't want to protect the border. What's going to happen? I mean, this is, this is a really, it's a very interesting thing. You don't hear this too much on, on TV. Uh, there's a serious conflagration going on. There's, there's a, a powerful conflict that may very well happen. I don't know that Biden has the wherewithal or the, uh, the backbone to actually fight the states on this and whether or not the federal troops would actually go to war and battle with the states. Uh, this is a huge issue, Devin, don't you think? Again, it's hypothetical for the time being. I don't think it'll ever come to pass, but not because Biden doesn't want to do it. It's because the, the federal troops don't want to do it. They, they will not fight because they agree with the state troopers. That's why. All right. Uh, things are getting really bad. There's uh, the, the, um, the credit card services. Um, they're going to offer that, what is it, to $53 million? Yeah, of, of free credit cards uh, to all these illegal immigrants so they can have, you know, some, some walk-around money. I guess I don't know. It's like when you send your kid, you know, off to college, you want to make sure that he has some, you know, some, some play money, right? It's basically an allowance. Go out and you want to see a movie? Hey, here you go. You want to go to, to a restaurant with your buddies? Here you go, right? That's a, here's a credit card, son. Anyway, that's what they're doing with these guys. And, and they don't give it to anybody else, right? Not that I want them to give it to anybody else, but I, I don't want them to give it to anybody, that, that's what you call a handout, right? In the meantime, they only give $21 million uh, for vet services. Okay, so can you explain that to me, right? These people, 
uh, are willing to die for our country. Some have been maimed in the process. Some, some have been killed, of course. And they only get $21 million? Yeah, it, That is just breathtaking to me. These strangers who are coming into this country illegally, many of whom are criminals, uh, who want to create mischief, they get money from us just for, for coming in? As if that's not an incentive to come in, right? As if, as if we don't have enough of an incentive to bring people in. We're now giving people money, credit cards, no less, to, to use at their, at their whim, right? Without any sort of limitation. But, but to, to give less than half that amount to, to veterans? Uh, I don't know. This will become a campaign topic, but I, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it should be, go down in history is one of the greatest shames that, ever happened in America. We, we have a lot of sh- shameful history to account for. You know, thankfully, we often uh, expose it and we bring it to light, but this, this could very well be one of the biggest ones we've, we've dealt with in the 21st century. Now, it turns out that the Democrats are beginning to realize, not that they shouldn't have realized this before, but they're beginning to realize that the border might very well be a campaign issue, might become a huge election issue in 2024. Yes, even bigger than abortion. Yeah, they've actually created a situation that might be bigger than their perennial favorite issue, abortion. Yeah, maybe even bigger than their uh, phantom issue, which is that voting for Trump would be the end of democracy, right? That, that You can expect that as well. But they've They've created such a menace at the border, such a horrific situation at the border that it might overwhelm either the abortion issue or the, uh, the, 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 the democracy is coming to an end issue, right? So you've got President Biden and they've come together and they decided that we've got to do something about this. And so they figured out this really fancy way of dealing with it, right? They, they are ready to say that uh, they, they want to do something with it. And in fact, Here's uh, Biden himself uh, talking about this issue, okay? Check this out. We need significant policy changes at the border, including changes in our asylum system to ensure that we have the authorities we need to control the border. And I'm ready to act. I think, oh, God willing, and the crick not rising, as my grandpa would say, you know, I think next week we ought to be able to work out something, at least in the Senate. Okay, so... What he's doing there is he's kicking the can. I wouldn't even say kicking the can. That's not the right phrase. He's punting. He's punting to the Republicans and saying, look, this is going to be your problem. You deal with it. Right? So he wants the issue, the narrative to be that it's the Republicans who failed to act on the border. And he's giving it to Congress and saying, look, uh, make a border bill that I can sign and everything will be great. Uh, and, and then when it's not great, when it's not signed, when it's, it's declared dead on arrival, which it already has been by Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, then, uh, then he can say, oh, the Republicans refuse to, uh, to cooperate on the border. But it's not their job. This is, this is the quintessence, to use a Shakespearean phrase, this is the quintessence of what a president does. It's to protect the border. And he's not willing to do it. He just can't seem to do it. We all know that it's all about executive orders. You've heard this as well, right? We know that he, on day one, he could have, and he could do it this instant. Today, he could issue an executive order exactly going back to what the Trump policies were, which is the Remain in Mexico policy, of course, to, to build a border fence, 
to otherwise uh, completely uh, to be very restrictive on the asylum policies. Everything that Trump had done, he could do that by way of executive order, and he would be entitled to do so. That is his main job to protect the border. But he's saying, oh, I, I'm just waiting for someone to do something here. I, I'm, I, I haven't done anything wrong. I, I, I've just been waiting for you guys to come up with something, right? So now he's ready to act, he says. Uh, but where were you? I mean, what, what, what happened with the, the border czar situation, right? Uh, that Kamala Harris, the great border czar, who never actually went to the border, so he seemed to acknowledge that that was his responsibility, but now this is the new turnabout. So will people believe it? I don't know. Will people be fooled? I don't know. We'll just have to see. Uh, but Chuck Schumer, of course, is very excited about this. And now he's going about saying how uh, we need to sign this bill and, and uh, it's going to be protect the country and every, everything else, even though he acknowledges that there's a huge issue here. And I think deep down, he knows that this is all uh, Biden's responsibility, but he's he's willing to play the game that Biden is starting. After four months of long, arduous, difficult negotiations, I am really proud and pleased to announce that Democrats and Republicans in the Senate have come to an agreement on the bipartisan supplemental bill tonight. This bill is vital, vital to America's future interests. Ukraine would be run over by Putin if we don't get aid in this bill. Israel needs to defend itself against Hamas with the aid in this bill. Palestinian civilians need food to prevent them from starvation that is in this bill. And we fix the border problem in this bill. So this bill has so many important things for America, for our national security, and for our well-being in this country. The future prospect, this is one of the most important pieces of legislation that the Senate has seen in years and years and years. And we cannot let politics get in the way of passing this legislation. Okay, so are, are you getting what's happening here, folks? This, this is a really very interesting to me because uh, he's playing the game. Uh, but first of all, look at it. This is an omnibus bill, if I ever heard one. This, this is going to not only resolve the issues of of the Ukraine, uh, the Ukraine problem, rather, uh, Israel and Hamas and the Palestinians themselves who are suffering because of the, the war, uh, but also the, the border bill. And, and why not toenail fungus as well? I, I think that you might as well throw that in too. Everything is somehow included in this bill. And, but it's all, it's all a big setup, folks. That's all it is. A huge, big setup. And Republicans should not play the game. They should not be punked. And they're going to be punked if they actually uh, treat this in any sort of serious way. Uh, this, the whole thing was a trap from the get-go. When, when Biden uh, started saying this is something that the Republicans might be hindering, I'm just waiting for Congress to act. That was a, that was a trap. And the conceit of all this, the conceit, is that this is somehow the responsibility of Congress at all. It's not. The fact is that we can close the border and it even so, says so in the bill, right? The, the bill that they propose, uh, among many other you know, things that are just not meaningful, is that if the border uh, has more than 5,000 people coming across the border uh, per day, which is an obscene number when you think about it. I mean, it, we, right now it's 10,000, but back in the good old days of 2021, when there was still Title 42, uh, it was about 5,000, 6,000. So they want to go back to those days. Okay, so 
if, if it exceeds 5,000 per day, or if it exceeds 8,500 in one day, then they close the border and nothing, nothing, nobody comes through at all, right? Which means that they acknowledge that they can close the border like that. Isn't that amazing? So the, but, but of course, you know that that will never be enforced, right? And also they restrict asylum. They're going to have faster uh, processes when it comes to evaluating asylum claims. Uh, of course, nothing to do about the state in Mexico or anything else like that. All these things, even if they were to pass it, okay, let's, let's say the Republicans said, I, I love this, this is great, uh, but it wouldn't be enforced. Of course not. You, you think that if, if uh, there were more than 8,500 in one day, it's 8,501, 8, right? They'll say, well, let's, okay, it's about 8,500, let's not close the border. Let's not get hasty here, folks, right? That's what they're going to say. Really? <laughs> I mean, of course, they're, they're, they're not going to enforce the border. They're not going to enforce those numbers. Even if it was 9,500, they're not going to close the borders. Let's face it, okay? But there it is. They, they, they admit that they can close the border. So either they, they're saying it to you to make you feel better and they can't do it, which I think is, is the case, in which case it's an illusory bill, or they can do it, in which case you say you, you've been lying to us all this time. You, you've just, you've said that the border is secure, but it's not really secure. And you're saying that somehow you can drop it down to zero. All right. So which is it? Choose your poison. Anyway, let's say, let's say that there was some sort of issue for this. Isn't this just like the snapback sanctions that, that we saw in the Iranian deal, right? Same thing. If, if there's some sort of violation in this case of the bill of the, of the new law regarding the border, that somehow they'll actually close the border? Really? Wouldn't that be some sort of admission of defeat? That They'll come back and they'll say, let's not get hasty. Let's not close the border. Let's tighten up our asylum program. Let's, let's make sure that we get a faster response to, uh, to the asylum claims and all those other things that you saw, right? It's, it's nonsense. They're not, gonna, they're not gonna force this bill whatsoever. What they want to do is give themselves cover to say that we enacted the most sweeping immigration bill in history and we are protecting the rights of the migrants as well as the concerns of the citizens across the border in America. That's what they want to say. Okay. But they don't say anything about, you know, not uh, including uh, any more credit cards for the uh, immigrants, right? They don't say anything about, like I said, the, the stay in Mexico policy or anything regarding the building of the border wall, right? They, they, they're not interested in those things. They're interested in optics. And Mike Johnson, like I said before, he's already declared that the bill is dead on arrival. But what Biden will do in this case is, is declare that the Republicans are, are holding up the show. And but for the Republicans, we would have had a secure border. Yeah. Yeah. So why are you voting for the Republicans? We're the ones who want a secure border, not those wascally Republicans who clearly want to not care about our country. We told you that's the end of democracy. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what's going on. The whole goal here, every part of it, is to blame the Republicans when things don't work out perfectly. And they never will work out perfectly. This is their saving exit. This is their off-ramp from this disaster of a problem called the border, which they themselves set out to open a long time ago. They, they have no other interest... Uh, than to actually open up the border. We now know that for a fact by the, by the fact that they, 
they actually went to the Supreme Court to get an order allowing the federal agents, federal border agents to cut the barbed wire uh, that, that Texas had put up. Really? That's their mission. If, if you believe for a moment, seriously, if, if you believe for a moment that the purpose of the Biden administration is anything other than letting in as many illegal immigrants as possible, please, 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 please write to me. Explain to me why you think that the policy of the Biden administration is somehow protecting America as opposed to allowing massive amounts of illegal aliens in. And, and everyone's seeing it. I, I see it. You see it. Okay. Info at Lurie-Law.com. Info at Lurie-Law.com. Go ahead and write me. Explain to me, please. And I, I promise you, I will I'll put it up on the show. I will talk about it the next week. But this is, um, this is dangerous stuff. All right, speaking about dangerous stuff, uh, here's uh, another story uh, that you could follow in the This I Cannot Abide file. The the Biden administration has decided, because it's receiving pressure from pro-Palestinian supporters, especially in Michigan, uh, where there is a very substantial Arab population, that uh, he's decided to issue uh, sanctions, sanctions against four Israeli settlers in the West Bank because uh, they in his opinion, uh, have been intimidating some settlers, some uh, Palestinians in the West Bank, and therefore they, they should really be punished. You know, not, not sanctioning, of course, the Hamas infiltrators who came and uh, raped and pillaged and beheaded people in southern Israel. That, that was cool. Don't worry about that. And we're talking about, you know, Israeli settlers who more or less gave a menacing look to some Palestinians uh, and who knows what the actual background facts were. So he decided to sanction these four individual Israelis, right? The United States is sanctioning four Israeli settlers. Okay, that's, that's it. Okay, uh, this is not about sanctioning a country. This is not about uh, imposing an embargo. Or, nope, he's going after four Israelis in particular, freezing their assets that they may hold in America and also banning them from visiting America uh, with visa restrictions and such. So uh, was this done to pacify the Palestinians? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, he, he's doing something. He sure is. Uh, but Netanyahu, of course, correctly is saying, what, what the frig are you doing? This is, we'll take care of this. Thanks very much. We'll, we'll handle our own improprieties here and treat them like criminals if we have to. Uh, we have a justice system too, is what Israel is saying, is what Netanyahu is saying. And he's right, of course. They do. But the fact that Biden thinks that he can interfere in Israeli uh, civilian life and, and decide uh, what he does, uh, likes and doesn't like. I mean, do, do, does every country get to do that, right? Do, do, so if something happens in America, we get to say, uh, the Israelis get to say that we're going to sanction them, we're going to impose money uh, against them. Is this the way it works now? Why wouldn't it cut both ways, right? Why, why doesn't Israel get to sanction AOC and, and the squad, for example, and uh, Talib? right? Who married her brother, apparently. Uh, why, why? Why? Why couldn't we he do that, Netanyahu? And, and is this the kind of new kind of financial warfare we're going to engage in? We're, we do live in a very digital world, so why not do that? I don't think he's thought this one through. Uh, but he's doing it because he knows that the Israelis are not going to take a strong position against America. They will complain, yes, because it's a democracy and they, 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 they get to air their grievances. But in terms of taking some sort of violent response, no, of course not. 
Israel's not Iran. Israel's not Hezbollah. Israel's not Hamas. It's not, it's not any of these bad guy um, actors out there. It's, it's a democracy. So they know that, that Israel won't do anything in response other than to say, hey, wh- what the frig are you doing? That's all that Israel will do. And that's all Israel should do, of course. But it makes Biden look like he's doing something. I'll tell you that. He must really worry, Devin, that there's something going on in the, the Palestinian community, uh, for that matter, the pro-Arab community in Michigan, and for that matter, the very large uh, group of Arabs in Michigan and throughout the United States. I think they're about 2.4 or so percent of the population, um, but also the sympathizers with, with uh, Hamas and otherwise. These people uh, are threatening to not vote for Biden. Right, I mean, which is very funny to me because th- their theory is, well, Biden is not doing enough to stop Israel from its "quote unquote" genocide against the Gazans. That's that's the reason why. So, which to me is very funny in its own way because he's going to lose votes from people that we're otherwise enemies with. Uh, we, we we love Israel. We we know that Israel is doing the right thing. Israel is the victim here and not the aggressor. But nevertheless, he's going he's to lose votes from the, the people who would naturally be his allies, right? Because if they think that Trump is going to be better for them, I mean, that's, that's a bizarre uh, phenomenon to me. I don't, I don't know that they're going to vote for Trump, but the fact that they will certainly not vote for Biden because they're threatening as such, uh, that's a bad sign for Biden. He needs every vote that he can get these days, but nothing is happening. He, he's... Uh, He's really looking down uh, the barrel of a, a very substantial gun when it comes to the election. And, uh, and that's a metaphor, folks. It's not reality. I'm not saying anything like that. It's just a metaphor. It's an expression. Uh, it can't be very good for him, uh, his prospects. And you see time and time again, these, these newscasters absolutely panicking. In fact, let's play a clip. This, this is a clip uh, from, what's her name, uh, Jen Psaki, uh, show in MSNBC, and she's interviewing uh, with one lawyer and then another uh, one, uh, this guy's name is Katyal, who is uh, the U.S., uh, I guess a former U.S. Uh, district attorney, and he is panicked. Let's, uh, let's hear what he has to say. It took them, I think, nine days. And mm. so to use your phrase, Jen, at the beginning of this show, I am officially now at the freakout stage. Um, I've resisted that for a long time, but we are now. You don't typically freak out, so that's important. Yeah, no, I think we're now at the point to use a different legal phrase justice delayed is justice denied. I mean, I can't imagine a more compelling need for speed than the idea that American citizens deserve to know before the election whether a candidate for office is a felon and an insurrectionist. And it's even more galling to me because this is an easy case. There is no responsible constitutional scholar who thinks Donald Trump is right, that there's an absolute immunity that a president can go and order Navy SEAL Team 6 to go murder his political opponent and then go and murder the senators who would try him for impeachment. That cannot possibly be right. And Judge Chutkin set a fast schedule here. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea what the Court of Appeals is doing right now. But I can tell you that I'm really worried that this delay is going to put the trial past June. Uh, It's possible that Trump will try and go to the Supreme Court after he loses in the Court of Appeals. That can take months. This is a real problem. 
Yeah, so that's that's pretty fascinating. Yes, he was panicked, right? I mean, by the way, that the Supreme the, the, so the Court of Appeals, the District Court of Appeals, not the Supreme Court, has ruled just now three to zero that Trump does not have presidential immunity. So he got his answer, but but look at the panic he has. I mean, he he's concerned about justice delayed and everything else. Look, it takes a long time for an appeal appellate process to go forward. It could take years sometimes, but they they initiated this criminal case just uh, fairly recently, only a year ago. They could, they could have started this uh, immediately after Biden became president, right? Immediately after January 6th, for that matter. He could, they could have done that, but they didn't. They chose to start it in, what, 2023? And now they're, they're complaining that's not fast enough because, you know, by golly, they, 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 the, the November 24 election is coming right around the corner. And God forbid people might actually vote for Donald Trump. We, we've got to take him off the ballot. That it's, it's as simple as that, right? So they only have themselves to blame. And now he's panicking, panicking about this. Yes, uh, Donald Trump, of course, will go ahead and appeal this to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, I do think there is presidential immunity. It is, it is correct to say that at some point, uh, it is, he cannot uh, kill everyone and all of his opponents. Of course, that goes without saying. But the answer there is to be impeached and then ultimately convicted for a high crime and, and misdemeanor, right? That's, that's the way it works. It doesn't provide uh, for anything other than, than that. He, he, so I think he had immunity, certainly at the time, uh, to argue now that uh, he doesn't have immunity. I, I think it's a, it's a real risk for the Democrats. But they haven't even indicted him, let alone convicted him of any insurrection. And they want that to be the basis for him to go forward, uh, for them to, to exclude him from the ballots. But this case is not even about insurrection at all, right? The January 6th case uh, is about one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, uh, implying uh, that's regarding Trump's repeated and supposed widespread efforts to spread false claims about the November 2020 election, okay, while while knowing that they were not true. Uh, Another count of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding that's, uh, you know, associated with the Senate and and the counting of the ballots and, and everything else for the electoral votes. Uh, then another count uh, of obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Again, very similar. And then finally, one count of conspiracy against rights, uh, referring to Trump and his co-conspirators, um, allegedly attempting to oppress, threaten, and intimidate people in their right to vote in an election, which is very weird. But there's nothing about insurrection here. I mean, how do they win that? I mean, so look, there's been no indictment, no conviction. Uh, so in the end of the day, uh, they might very well uh, say that, yes, Trump doesn't have immunity from these other counts, but even if they found him to be guilty of those counts, which I don't think they will because it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, there's plenty of doubt here, uh, then they still can't take him off the ballot. So big problem for them. Uh, that's why they're panicking. Everything about this is panic. So good luck to you Democrats uh, about this. And now, having said all of this, folks, we cannot be complacent. The fact is that the election is in November of 24. That's what, uh, about uh, nine and a half months away. Okay, that's, that's a long time in politics. A lot of things can happen. But I will say this, on the Democrat side, every day that passes makes it more and more of a challenge for the Democrats to find a replacement for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is uh, sickly in the head. We, we all know that. He's got dementia. It, it's very hard to argue otherwise. Uh, he's incompetent in every way. 
Uh, people cannot seriously say that uh, he's going to have a meaningful four years if he gets reelected, God forbid. Uh, so, so what are they going to do? They, they, they can't put in Gavin Newsom because, again, that's too late for him. Uh, he would be have a, a major uphill battle. Then they're talking about Michelle Obama, that somehow she should be the replacement candidate. But that's a problem, too, because unlike uh, Trump, uh, she has no uh, experience in business, and she certainly has no business in politics. And you can compare that to Hillary Clinton, who was the wife of a former president, too, right? So uh, she could be just the next Hillary Clinton. Well, the problem is, at least Hillary Clinton, as much as I despise her, uh, she had political experience. She was a senator. She was the secretary of state. She, she got in the soup of politics. She you know, did, did a lot of things, bad and good. Well, mostly bad, okay. But nevertheless, she was an, an experienced senator. She, she was able to put in her dues and claim that uh, I'm an experienced person. And remember what the Democrats uh, constantly said about her, that she's the most qualified person to ever run for president at the time of 2016, right? So they, they certainly can't say that about Michelle Obama. So, and I don't think a lot of people like Michelle Obama. There's this certain uh, Kennedy-esque Camelot aspect to the Obamas. I get that. But once she actually ran, if she actually you know, pressed play on that, uh, I think she would suffer the same fate that DeSantis did, which is, look, you're very good in the abstract. We, we love the idea of DeSantis. But when you actually run, I think you're, you end up stumbling upon yourself. So that's what's going to happen. It would happen if Michelle Obama, God forbid, decided to run. Uh, it would be a disaster for her. I don't think a lot of people like her. Uh, all sorts of things would come up about her and her positions because, after all, she's running for president. Uh, so she would collapse in that as well. So that's why I think they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They have no choice but to move forward with Biden, um, to not put Biden on the ticket or to take him off the ticket at this point would be conceding defeat. They would be acknowledging that the policies of Biden were a disaster and that whoever is taking his place would have to say, I'm not going to do what Biden did, such as the border, such as the handling of Afghanistan, such as the handling of the economy and otherwise. Bidenomics, of course, was a failure, um, such as handling of, of Hamas and Israel. Uh, all these things they would, they would have to take back. And they're not willing to acknowledge wrongdoing or that they were wrong in any way. So that's why they're going to have to be, they're stuck with Biden. The only, the only thing that will stop him from running for president and, and uh, for, from being replaced, the only thing that would uh, make that happen is if, again, and I don't, I'm not wishing this upon him, if he became uh, incapacitated or died. That's the only way. So uh, Democrats, you're stuck with this man. All the calculus suggests that you must stay with Biden. And that's a pretty poor candidate to have. <laughs> Let, let's see what happens, right? The next nine and a half months will be really very interesting. I think it's going to be one of the most interesting elections in history. Uh, I think it's uh, probably the most consequential in history. Uh, I think 2016 was pretty consequential, especially in hindsight. But uh, 2024, we have no choice. We have to get rid of Biden as president. We have to unseat him. I think we've got a really good shot. Uh, Hispanic vote is very much with us. Uh, the black vote has gone, as I said, uh, very much with us, uh, way beyond the 9% that uh, Republicans need in order to, to tap the, um, the election. We've got Florida as a red state, Ohio as a red state, Iowa as a red state. 
we've got a lot of states that are in play. Nevada is, is likely to turn red. Uh, Arizona is going to turn red as well. Uh, they, they still have some battleground states that they can fight for. But I, I don't even think Georgia's in play anymore. So uh, good things are, are on the horizon for us, but I'm not making a prediction at this point. It is way too early. But I am excited about the prospects. Uh, I do want Trump to prevail against all these maddening cases that are designed solely for political purposes. We all know that. And uh, we'll see. There'll be a lot of revelations made once and if Trump becomes president. Uh, all these things will go away and we'll, we'll see the Democrats running to protect their political behinds. I, I think that they've got big, big issues. There, there will be a lot of criminal indictments for what has happened um, and uh, a, a lot of inappropriate, very, very uh, extrajudicial processes that happened with the January 6th uh, prisoners and so many other things. It'll all come to light. All right, folks, this is Brock Lurie signing off, saying God bless, and we'll talk with you next week.